the armor of God, having the equipment that God has supplied us with and knowing how to use that and his power and his strength to fight in spiritual warfare every day. Our series, this is the last day in our series called Battle Gear, Living Strong in the Midst of Life Struggles. And we've talked about it is an experience from day to day. It is a struggle to live for the Lord, isn't it, sometimes? It's a struggle to do what's right. We know what's right, but so many times it's hard to do what's right in the midst of the world around us, but that's what we're called to do. And one of the key ingredients to being successful in in that is that we need to learn to view the world the way that God and his word see the world. We've got to learn to be able to look at the world through the lens of God, the way he sees it, but also the way he defines the world in his word. And we get a glimpse of that in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13. We'll read it one more time as we finish our series. Verse 10, Paul says, finally, Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavens or the spiritual realm. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. We've talked about the various pieces of armor and how they equip us for battle. God's word tells us that we're smack dab in the middle of this spiritual cosmic war that's going on all around us. We can't see it. It's in the spiritual realm, but we sure can feel the effects of it every day, can't we? We see the effects of it all around us. Two things as believers. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not called to join this war. You're already in the war. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in the war. This isn't a series asking you to join up. You're already there. But thankfully, we're also not called to win the war. The war's already been won. Jesus has accomplished victory through his empty tomb. And so with all of the pieces of armor that we've looked at, we've seen how God has a plan. There are practical, tangible things that we can use to fight in this war that we're already in, and it's called the armor of God. God equips us. Today, we're looking at our last piece of armor. Paul says in verse 17, the last part of verse 17, he says, take the sword of the Spirit which is the word of the God, word of God. Now, this is the only offensive weapon. Now, prayer is proactive and prayer is included, but in keeping with the analogy of the Roman soldier's armor, remember Paul's chained to a guard 24-7. He knows the armor. He knows what each piece is used for. He's taking these pieces of armor and he's using them to show us how to fight, how God equips us to fight in spiritual war. So this is the only offensive weapon that Paul uses to describe spiritual war. This is our offensive weapon, the word of God. Now, if you look at the Roman soldier, he had two swords that he carried with him. One was called a spatha. A spatha is about three feet long. It's what you would probably think of when you would think sword. Three feet long, uh, used, uh, you know, you can swipe, you can, you can stab, you know, you can use it for combat from a little bit of a distance. But there's another one called a gladius, and I brought a replica of the gladius. This is actually a little smaller, but the gladius was about 18 inches. And this is a replica, but it is very sharp on the tip. It's not sharpened on the sides, but this is essentially, this one's a little shorter than 18 inches, but a gladius was about 18 inches long. 
And here's the purpose of a gladius. The gladius is used for up close, in your face, hand-to-hand combat. And when Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, the, the Greek word he uses is gladius. It's not spatha, it's gladius. The gladius, again, used for up-close combat, and here's why it's so effective. A dagger can be so much more effective in killing than a spatha because you can slash at somebody and cause a wound with a spatha, and they can keep fighting. It may not be a deadly wound. But what the Roman soldier would use this for is he's up close in your face and he would grab this thing and he would jab it into your midsection before you knew what hit you. And nine times out of ten, that wound to your midsection would be fatal. A two-inch gouge from something like this could kill a man a lot quicker than a slash from three feet away. And so when Paul's talking about take up the sword of the Spirit, he's talking about combat that is up close, in your face, spiritual war that's going to be in your face every single day. Satan is going to attack you, and he's going to do it in a personal way. And he's also saying that many times that attack, that battle that's going on up close and personal is so close because it's within you. It's a battle that's being waged in your mind, in your will, and in your emotions. A battle that's going on inside. And so we have to be prepared. Something else he's saying when he says sword of the spirit, that means it's not your sword. It's not my sword. It's not the sword of the church. It's not the sword of good works or any other thing. It is the sword of the spirit, which tells me that I can't do this on my own. That no weapon I have is going to be effective in fighting in spiritual warfare. This truth, our authority for victory in the spiritual realm is rooted and grounded in God. You know, the reason a lot of people today, a lot of Christians are living defeated lives is because they're using their own methods, their own philosophies, human resources to fight an opponent that's not human. Satan, our, power, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against yourself, your emotions, your will. It's not against your brother, your sister, your spouse, your kids, your co-worker, or anybody else in this world. Our battle is against the spiritual forces, Satan, and all of his followers in the spiritual realm. So any human weapon we use is not going to be effective in defeating that enemy. This has to be the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that's given to us. And one of the reasons we're losing is because we're not using the Word of God effectively. He's given us His Word to use as an offensive weapon. We have to fight from victory using the weapons that God has given us, using the battle gear that God has given us. And we have to align ourselves under our thoughts, our actions, everything under the authority of Jesus Christ. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And there are three ways we take up the sword of the Spirit. The first thing we need to do is to value the Word of God. There are three Greek words that are used for the Word of God. And all of them have application with what we're talking about today. The first word we're going to look at is the word graph. And the graph is simply talking about the written Word of God, the writings of God, the actual written Word of God. Now, this isn't the word that Paul uses here, but it's still very important that we understand that we view this book properly, that we view the Word of God properly. 
It's important that we understand that this book is inerrant, that it is perfect, that there are no errors in it. It's important that we understand that God gives us his word to use for daily life, that it is just as relevant in the 21st century as it was when it was completed, when God gave it, inspired men by the Holy Spirit to write it. The Word of God is useful for everyday living, and it is perfect. It doesn't need anything added to, and it certainly shouldn't, we shouldn't take anything away from it. A sword's value is determined by its origin. We need to look at this the proper way because a sword's value is determined by its origin. Did you know that there is a sword council that is, their purpose is to determine the value of swords? They use technology to, to judge a sword's uh, balance and its construction and that swords that are of high value are made by hand and they can take up to 500 man hours to produce. There are waiting years that are uh, waiting lists that are years for people that want to get these really valuable swords. But these councils determine the value, of, they have contests to determine the value of swords. And I found an article a while back that listed the most valuable swords that were ever made. Uh, one of them was sold in the U.S. I believe in 2007 it was sold, and it sold for $1.6 million. It was a sword that was uh, owned by Ulysses S. Grant. The state of Kentucky gave it to him. It had his initials encrusted uh, in, in, in diamonds, his initials on the sword, and it was valuable because... It came from Ulysses S. Grant. It was his. He used it. There was another one. The second most valuable sword I found sold for $6.5 million in France in 2007. And it was owned by Napoleon Bonaparte. Um, it was encrusted in gold. Uh, I mean, very valuable because of its material, but mainly because of where it came from. But the most valuable sword ever sold, sold in 2008, and it sold for a whopping $7.7 million. It was a sword that came from China that was used during the Chinese emperor Qianlong's rule in the 1700s. Some believe that it was actually his sword, which makes it more valuable. Those swords are valuable because of where they, came, they come from. Swords are valuable because of their source. And the reason this is important and the reason Paul says the sword of the Spirit is because we need to value the Word of God because of where it comes from. The value of this book is determined because it is God's Word. It is God's Word. It is His revelation of Himself to us. It is perfect, it is inerrant, and it is useful for everyday life. It is the only offensive weapon that we are given to fight in spiritual warfare every day. And these words have value because of where they come from. And I've got news for you. This book, it's not going to do you any good sitting on your shelf. It is only going to do you good if you take it off and if you use it in spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about how to do that, but it is not just something that, that, that looks pretty on a coffee table or on a shelf. It is something that is given to us to use for daily spiritual war. In order for it to accomplish its purposes, it has to be used in a way that goes beyond simply checking it off your list as something you have to do for the day. 
It has to go about the work of changing our lives. The graph is the graph. The word is the word, regardless of what I do with it, but it's given to me to use. And we have to value it. We have to read it. Then, number two, we need to understand the Word of God. We need to understand the Word of God. And this is where the second term for the Word comes in. And this is probably one you've heard, the term logos or logos. It is the meaning of the Word. It is the actual meaning, the message of the book, the meaning of the words about the book. And we're told that the Word of God is alive and it's active, right? And that we are to take the Word of God and we are to place it in our lives and let it do its work. And I brought something to kind of show you how that works this morning. How many of you like chocolate milk? Anybody? Well, you can't drink it because I'm about to use it, but... It's chocolate milk. And this chocolate milk, we're going to say, this is our jar. This is you, okay? I'm going to turn it back around so you can see what happens. But this is you. The chocolate milk represents you. Sweet. All of you here today are sweet, right? Some of you not so much. But nonetheless, for the purposes of this illustration, this chocolate milk represents you. So we're going to pour our chocolate milk in our jar that is labeled you. All right, this is us. This is our lives. This is who we are. Good, bad, and everything in between, okay? Now, I also brought an energy drink, and you people that drink this stuff, y'all are crazy, because it is, <laughs> wow, I'd rather have a cup of coffee any day of the week, but that's okay if you like these, but Red Bull, uh, it's an energy drink. The Word of God tells us about itself, describes itself as being alive and active, right? So an energy drink, that's a pretty good, pretty good analogy, a pretty good uh, example of that. So what we are told to do is that we have to allow God's Word to enter our lives. And it has to go down deep, and it needs to go to work on our lives. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take this energy drink, and we're going to pour it in here. And what you're going to see is that this energy drink is going to go to work in this chocolate milk. And I made sure to get the chocolate milk that has the most fat in it. Because it's going to do its work. And it's going to take some time, but you're going to start to see a chemical reaction take place. And we're going to, we're going to watch that over the next few minutes, all right? But here's the point. The Word of God has to come into our lives, and it has to go to work. And it takes time, okay? We've talked about this. The minute you're saved, you're justified. You're made right with God. But then begins that process of being made like Christ, the process of sanctification. And God uses his word to penetrate the deepest, darkest areas of our lives. And a change begins to take place. And it takes time. And you're going to see over the next few minutes, a change is going to take place. There's going to be a separation that takes place. But we have to allow God's word to go to work in our lives. And its effectiveness is directly related to our familiarity with it. You know, a sword, a swordsman, he, his effectiveness with a sword, just like anything else, comes with practice. Time with a sword means that you're better, that you become an expert with your weapon. And Roman soldiers would spar with one another because they knew they needed to be prepared for battle. And they wanted to do whatever they could to master their use of that weapon. And the same is true for us. If, if the Word of God is going to have impact on our lives, if it's going to do its work, if it's going to change us from the inside out, then we have to spend time with it. Time spent equals success in spiritual warfare. 
When you attend a Bible study, and this is where the logos comes in, right? When you t- attend a Bible study or a sermon like today, where the, the meaning of the text is explained, not just a reading of the text, but the meaning that goes beyond the surface where the meaning is explained, then you're interacting with the logos, with the meaning of the text. When you spend time in God's word at home, where you go beyond just a surface reading, then you're, you're interacting with the logos. You're, 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 you're getting the meaning of the text. You're you're attempting to understand what it really means. And that's, that's what we're doing here is spending time with the written word so that we can understand it can, it can go to work and we can understand the meaning. Uh, I've been to Washington, D.C. a few times. Only once have I actually gone to the archives and seen uh, the Declaration of Independence. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing. You know, one of the things that's so amazing about it is the measures that they go to to preserve this thing, rightfully so. I mean, it's in a bulletproof case, and, and of course, they do things. They take it out uh, uh, ever so often to do things to help preserve it. They want to keep it because it's a relic, and it's important. It's a part of the history of our country. The sad thing is, as amazing as that is, and it should be viewed that way, but the sad thing is, is that a lot of people view this book that way, that it's just a relic. It's got a lot of historical significance. It's got a lot of facts, important things that we need to know, but the Word of God is so much more than that. The Word of God says about itself, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living, it is active, it is effective, it is sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. The logos is more than just words on a page. There's meaning there. And it, the word of God, goes about the work of separating us. It, it, it goes deep within us. And what you're starting to see with this chemical reaction, and again, more time. Some of you that are close can see there's a line that's starting to be formed here. All the fat is being separated from the rest. That's a pleasant thought. Anybody wants to drink this later, have at it. <laughs> but there's a separation. And the more I talk, the longer we go, you're going to see a distinct line. I left one out overnight. Mandy poured it out because it was just gross by that time. But by this morning, there was a line that was about that thick that separated those two elements. And see, that's what the Word of God does. It goes down deep in your life, and it separates your soul and your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions from the new spirit that God has given you, your thoughts, your motivations, your feelings, your actions, your temptations, your tendencies. All, the Word of God penetrates all of that, and it does it in a way that allows us to see ourselves the way that God sees us and the way he intends for us to be. It convicts us of sin to the point to where through the work of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working through us with the Word of God, He divides us up to where we can see sin for what it is and we can separate ourselves from that sin and live the way that God wants us to. God forgives us of sin, but we still struggle with sin as believers, right? Every day. And so by allowing the Word of God to go to work in our lives, He separates us to the point to where we can understand what we are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. What's right from what's wrong, what's truth from what's a lie, which, let's be honest, is difficult to determine sometimes in this world, isn't it? To know what's right and wrong. Truth has become relevant, and so we need to know what's right and wrong. 
And it's, and it's so effective at doing what it does that it's relevant again. It's just as relevant today as it was the day it was given to man. It is God's revelation to himself. It is the message of salvation. It is instruction for life. In this book is everything that you and I need to live for the Lord today, right now, in this time in Madison, Alabama and beyond. To live for him to serve him, and to share his word with everybody that needs to hear it. Think about this. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to repeat it. The Bible is comprised of 66 books written over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors from all walks of life and made up of all different personalities. It was written in three different languages on three different continents and covers a wide range of controversial subjects. Yet, it comes together into one cohesive story with a beginning, an end, and a central character and a theme that runs throughout. This book is a message. It's a love letter to you and me. It is a message of how we ran away from God. We did our own thing and as a result was separated from God. But God had a plan from the, before the time we were created, a plan to remedy that problem. He loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die a brutal death, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to be raised from the dead three days later so that you and I could have victory over sin and death. So that we could live and fight from victory, not for victory, because it's already been accomplished for us. This book has the message of salvation. It is God's instruction for life. It has everything. It is one message from beginning to end. Now think about that. Would it be possible for me to take 40 people from this room and go into another room and agree on any one thing, probably? I mean... And, and then to take people from a period of 1,500 years apart and bring them together, even with today's technology, could we create a book like this that spoke with one voice from beginning to end? It's impossible, yet God did it because he's God. It is more than just a book. It's more than just a relic. It's more than just historical facts. It is the word of God that he's given to me for instruction for my life. But also, it is the one offensive weapon that we are given to use to fight in spiritual warfare. It clarifies truth. It clarifies what we're supposed to be about as believers. Going back to our illustration again. And again, it's taking a little longer than I would like for it to. But you can see, again, now this separation is about that thick. And you're going to see by the end of this message, this is going to keep going. Time with the word equals success in spiritual warfare. The more time we spend and the more time this sits here, it's just going to cut through the fat and separate that. It's going to, the word of God, the more time we spend with it, it cuts through all of those struggles that you have, that I have, those strongholds in your life, the sin that you struggle with, that I struggle with from every, every day, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, things, anything that would hinder God's presence and his Holy Spirit from working effectively in and through me, the word of God will separate that if I let it. And I can get rid of it. I can set those things aside so that I can hear his voice clearly so that it will divide me up and I can use, be used by him for his purpose and I can use his word as he intended in my life and in spiritual warfare from day to day. The Logos doesn't just penetrate my mind, my thoughts, 
all of those things beneath the surface. It does, but here's the amazing thing. As it works in my life, as it continues to separate, as it continues to penetrate those areas, the Word of God goes beneath just the thoughts, just the emotions. It goes beyond that, below that, to the motivations behind those things. The Word of God doesn't just deal with the symptoms. The Word of God goes to the root of the problem. What motivates me to do what I do? Paul talked about, hey, I know what, what's right, yet I still do what's wrong. I know what not to do, yet I still do the things that I shouldn't. The Word of God goes beneath that. It deals with the root of the problem, which is a problem of sin. It separates dividing bone, getting penetrating bone and marrow. It goes to places that I don't even know exist in my life and shows me sin that I'm not even aware of so that I can confess that sin and I can be made right with God and right fellowship with Him. And I can continue that process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And as we meditate on fully understanding the logos, the meaning of the word of God, and allow it to penetrate and take root deep within us, it separates us and it reveals our hearts to such a degree that we know how to live for the Lord. We know truth from what's false. We know right from wrong. And if we're going to have our battle gear, if we're going to put it on and we're going to be strong in the midst of life struggles, then we need to, first, we need to have the Word of God and we need to read it. And second, we need to go beyond just reading and we need to understand it. But that's not all. That's not where it stops. We also need to apply the Word of God. You know, there are a lot of people who have the Bible. There are a lot of people that know the Bible. Some people that know the Bible a lot better than I do, yet they never apply it to their lives. They haven't allowed it to change their lives. It's not, a just, not enough to just have it and read it. You've got to apply it. But listen, before you speak with authority about anything, and this, this, what, this, 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 this word is the word rima. This is the third word for the word of God, the Bible. And it's the word rima. And it has to do with a declaration concerning the written word. So you get the idea. You read it, you understand it, and then you declare it. You speak its truth as it applies to whatever attack you're experiencing from Satan or whatever experience you're having in life. But here's the thing. Before you begin to speak with authority about something, you really need to know it, right? It can be dangerous to speak with authority about something you really don't know anything about. And we can do that. If we take the Word of God out of context... If we start to, to speak with authority and we really don't, we haven't spent time in the word, we don't have a proper understanding, if we're not applying it properly to our lives, it can be dangerous for us and it can be dangerous for the people that we're leading. And that's something that I take very seriously. It's humbling. You know, I love preaching. I love it with everything that I am. But every week and every, the weeks leading up to it is such a humbling experience because I know that I have the responsibility of dividing this properly. And if I don't, not only does it affect me, it affects everybody that I teach. We need to understand the Word of God, but then we need to take it with a proper understanding and apply it to our lives. And, and, and this is important because Paul tells us, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's saying, don't just read it. Don't just understand it. Those things are important. It's really not going to be fully effective until you use it, until you declare it, use it, speak it, and use it in your daily life. Apply it to your daily life. And again, the reason that so many people are living defeated lives, Christians, is because they ha they haven't, they're stuck in Logos land. Okay, There are a lot of Christians who come to church 
and they want to understand the Word of God. They go to Sunday school, they go to Bible study, they come to, to, to worship, they take sermon notes, and they really do want to understand it, but that's, that's where they stop. They don't take it out into the real world and use it for daily life. And that's why you're living defeated, because you're not actually allowing the Word of God to go to work in your life. You're not allowing it to change you. You're not applying it to whatever situation you're in. And, and what, what this is telling us, Paul, the, the sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon is he's saying that when I take it, I read it, I understand it, and then I use it and I apply it to my life. It's taking that dagger and stabbing it into the midsection of Satan, drawing blood. Because he can't stand against the Word of God. Satan, what he does is he tries to twist the Word of God, just enough to change the meaning, just enough, because he knows if he can convince you to believe what he's selling, to buy what he's selling, that by changing the Word of God just a little bit, it changes its effectiveness to defeat him. It's no longer effective to do that. The power is in the Word of God as God has delivered it, not as we take it and use it however we want Some people take the buffet approach. They take what they want, they leave what they don't like. But then the Word of God is no longer an effective weapon. He's fine if you talk, if you say things like, well, here's what I think, or here's what other people say, or here's what I've been taught, here's what I've heard, here's been my experience. He'll let you gather information from all those sources, your friends, television, news, whatever. He'll let you do that all day long because he knows that you will not be effective fighting him with your opinion. Your opinion, my opinion, other people's opinion have no power to defeat Satan. It's just not going to happen. But when you begin to say, well, here's what God says, that's when Satan gets scared. He knows he can't stand against the word of God. But he takes it and he twists it. Look at, look at, look at Genesis chapter, three, or chapter 1 verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word of God has the power. God, just his spoken word. You go back to the sin in the Garden of Eden. What happened? Well, God, Satan convinced Eve and Adam to believe that God really didn't say what he said because there's power in what God says. The the creation account, what happened there? Well, God spoke it and it happened. Over and over again, we see through the creation account, God said, hey, I want this and this is what happened. Over and over again in the Bible, God says it it and it happens. Whatever he says comes about. There's power in the spoken word of God, the word of God, not what we make it or what we think it is. We see it time and time and time again. There's power in God's word. And so it applies to us in this way. The spoken word, the rema, as we speak it, as we declare it to a specific situation, there's power in it to accomplish what God desires. So when we use it for spiritual warfare, since it's so powerful, Satan, again, he knows all he has to do is twist it and make it mean something that it doesn't because it'll no longer accomplish what God wants it to accomplish because it's not his spoken word. But we take it and we use it the way God intends and there's power in that. There's a great example of this in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God himself led Jesus straight into the company of Satan. There was intent here. God was going on the offense. Satan didn't realize this, but he was going on the offense. 
And he, he's going on the advance with the ream of the word of God to defeat Satan. He led Jesus to him, and Jesus was tempted by him, and he responded by using the gladius, the sword of the Spirit, to take a stab at Satan's midsection. In verse 3 of this passage, we see Satan tempts Jesus at his weakest point. He had been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. And I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, my kids say I get hangry. They, I'm not a pleasant person to be around when I'm really hungry. And it's because everything, yesterday we were working on the house and I forget what time it was. What time was it, Timmy? Was it 12.23? Timmy says that exactly 12.23 is when your legs get weak, you start to sweat and you can't do anything effectively because you're so hungry. Because it was time for lunch and we didn't have food yet. And we'd been working all day yesterday. But you're weak, right? When you don't have food, you're weak. And that's the point. Jesus was at his weakest point. And in Luke 4.13, we read that that Satan waits for the opportune time to attack Jesus. After the devil had finished every temptation, verse 13, he departed to him from him for a time. And the NASB says it this way, he left him until an opportune time. He's trying to capitalize on Jesus' weakness here. He's trying to hit him, to, to attack him when he's down. His need for food. Everybody needs food. It's a good need, right? It's something God built in us. But what Satan's trying to do is convince Jesus to meet that need in an illegitimate way, a way that's not God's plan. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 4. The tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's tempting him to meet the need in a way that God doesn't intend. But Jesus responds this way. He says in Matthew 4, 4, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Go back to Genesis. The word of God has power to accomplish anything. We don't live on bread alone. We don't live on human instinct. We don't live on human ability. We live on the word of God. We have power because of the word of God. And Jesus, three more times, or two more times, Satan comes to Jesus, and every time Jesus responds with, it is written, followed by what God said. Now, Jesus was perfect in everything, his thoughts, his actions, everything. But when he was at his weakest, when he was compromised physically, not with sin, Jesus never sinned, but when he was weak physically, even though he was perfect in all of his actions and all of his thoughts, he didn't use his thoughts to combat Satan. What did he use? He basically Googled God's feeding plan from Deuteronomy 8. And he used the word of God. It is written, followed by what God says on the matter. Now, if Jesus, who's perfect and is, always has been, and everything he ever did as a human was perfect in all of his actions, if he needed to use the word of God, how much more desperately do you and I need the word of God? There is power in the spoken word of God. It's not just enough to read it. It's not just enough to understand it. A lot of people do that. You have to speak it, declare it to your life and the situation you're in. Speaking the word of God as it relates to whatever you're facing, God's power is unleashed and the offensive weapon that's more effective than anything you and I can come up with will be a jab right to the heart of Satan that he cannot defend. We have to use it. It's not enough to know it. We have to take it and we have to apply it to our lives the way God intends. Satan can hang out with you all day long. 
You know, some people treat the word of God as like a superstitious type of thing, right? If I put it in my car, I won't have a wreck. If I get one of those big old Bibles and stick it on my coffee table, then that'll ward off all of the evil spirits from my family and my house. But it's not a relic and it's not superstitious. The word of God is alive. It's active. It has the ability to penetrate the deepest, darkest areas of my life the soul and the spirit, and when used properly, it is a weapon that Satan cannot defend against. Put on your armor, the battle gear, every day, every piece, the way that God intends. Put, take up the sword, the sword, the word of God, as it's written, as God intended, and use it, and don't give up. In 1980, There was a fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. This wasn't their first meeting. Roberto Duran was uh, from the Philippines, is from the Philippines. He was a very successful fighter at the time. He was 72 and 1. And one of those victories was against uh, Sugar Ray Leonard just a few months before that. Um, He was an incredible fighter. Well, they met uh, for a rematch. Same year, a few months later. They both trained, they met, and they were, even the first fight was decided just by a few points. I mean, they were a pretty good match for one another in terms of of their abilities, different abilities, but but still. And the fight in 1980, it goes on for almost eight rounds. And the fight was very, the second fight was very close. Sugar Ray Leonard was winning after it was seen by the scorecards, each scorecard, but he only had a one or a two-point advantage by the judges. Most were one. One of the cards had him at a two-point, I believe. It was very close, but something happened in the eighth, eighth round. In the eighth round, you know, Roberto was not, Duran was not cut. He was not injured. Nothing like that. During the seventh round, Sugar Ray Leonard started taunting him. That was one of the things that Duran would do. He would get in the mind. He would taunt. He would insult his opponent, throwing them off balance. Well, Sugar Ray Leonard turned that around and used it on his opponent. He started taunting him. Well, in the eighth round, about halfway through, he's not injured. He's not cut. No, no, no physical reason for it. He just stops, and he says, no mas. No more. He said, I can't take any more. I'm done. No injury. One of the best fighters in the world at the time quit in the middle of the eighth round. Now, he went on to win something like 103 boxing matches. But when you mention his name today, the first thing that pops into people's minds is Nomas. He's remembered for the day that he quit. You know, there are going to be a lot of times in life where you feel like quitting. Quitting your job, quitting your marriage, quitting life. You know, there are over, in 2017, over 47, sadly, over 47,000 people in this country took their own lives. Same year, 1.4 million people attempted that. There are a lot of people who give up on life every day. Some people want to give up on God. But let me tell you, there are people throughout the Bible who wanted to quit. Elijah wanted to quit. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He struggled with depression greatly. I mean, Job, you can understand why Job said, I just cursed the day that I die or the day that I lived. I mean, they all wanted to quit. So when you're tempted to quit, remember, you're in good company, okay? Some of God's greatest biblical heroes, most faithful people wanted to quit, but don't. Don't give up. Put on your gear. Keep it on, strapped on tight. Use the way God intended. Keep going. Keep fighting. Don't give up because there's too much at stake. 
There are lives hanging in the balance. You're fighting for your life, your family, this church, the mission of the church, the lost. We've got to fight day in, day out. But thankfully, we're not fighting in our own strength. We're not, we're not, we're not called to join the war. We're in the war, but we're not fighting in our own strength because we can't do it on our own. And we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We already have victory. So now it's time that you and I live victoriously. Can we agree with that? Let's live in the victory that God has accomplished for us. I want to close by reading this verse. We're going to close out this series with reading a verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than victorious in my strength, in your strength, absolutely not. We are more than victorious through him who loved us. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. And it is by, only by God's grace through faith in him, by his power and his strength that we live in victory from day to day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the victory that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, through your death, your burial, your resurrection, we have victory. We are, we are free from sin and death and we are free to serve you. And we have victory from day to day. If we use the armor that you've given us, if we are equipped for battle the way you equip us, the way you intend, then we will live in victory. There is nothing Satan can do to us to take away our salvation. There's nothing that he can do to us to defeat us because we have your word that you've given us to be used properly, to, to know it, to understand it, and to use it as an offensive weapon that Satan cannot defend. Lord, I pray that we would dedicate ourselves to saturating ourselves in your word, to reading it, but not just reading it, to understand it, to go beyond just the surface understanding, to really get the logos, the meaning of your word. And, and Father, that we would use your word, the rima, as we speak it, as we declare it to every situation that we face, knowing that your word, while it may not speak to specific situations, it speaks to every principle behind every situation that we will face in our daily lives. It is just as relevant today as it was the day you gave it to us. And Lord, I pray that we would dedicate ourselves to becoming masters at this weapon that we would spend time in your word so that, so that we will be able to use it properly. God, I pray that if there's somebody here today, Lord, they're facing spiritual battle, unequipped because they don't know you, they haven't experienced salvation, that today would be the day that they meet you and, and accept the salvation that's only provided through your son, Jesus Christ. For those of us that know you, I pray that we would be intentional about putting on our armor every day, that we would be intentional about allowing you to continue to work in and through us to make us more like your son, Jesus. And that, Father, we would live in the victory that you've already provided, not in defeat, but in victory. Lord, whatever decisions you need us to make, I pray that we would listen to your voice as you speak to our hearts and that we would respond appropriately. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?